Hello, and welcome to the Green Leads Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. You may not be aware of it, but this week is actually National Infertility Awareness Week, and one in eight couples actually struggle with infertility. It's not a topic that I talk about frequently, but I thought it was something that would be of interest to people who may be going through this, know someone who's going through it, or just want to learn more about it. So the guest I have on today is Liz Shaw, who has a nutrition communications business and is an expert in all things infertility. Liz is a dietitian with over 10 years experience and she's also a certified personal trainer. She's also written four books including Instant Pot for Cookbook for Dummies, The Air Fryer Cookbook for Dummies, Fertility Foods Cookbook, and The Stress-Free IVF Nutrition Guide, which we're going to talk a lot about in this interview. She's also a guest on local and national television. She's a spokesperson. She's written for a ton of publications like Prevention, Oxygen Magazine, Shape, and others. What she loves most about her current position is that she gets to connect with consumers and help dispel nutrition myths daily. You'll find her all over the place on social media, and she is an expert in all things infertility. She talks a lot about her own struggles with fertility, and on this podcast, we went through a bunch of stuff like, is it possible to increase your fertility with food or exercise? Does being a vegan or vegetarian or restricting food groups impact fertility? Does running impact fertility? What would should you do if you do have trouble conceiving? And then we also got into nutrition myths and misconceptions like does eating pineapple actually make you more fertile? So it's a really interesting talk. I think it's great to honor uh, infertility and bring more awareness to it. So let's jump into that chat. Hey, Liz, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to chat about this. It's something that's not really talked about enough, I think. Uh, We're going to talk all about fertility and how running and exercise may affect that. Um, So kind of jumping right into that. Can you tell us a little bit about your story of how you became interested in fertility? Absolutely. And I completely agree. I think the lack of um, communication about this subject because of the kind of sensitive nature, which rightfully so is why, what made me really want to talk about it. So when I was diagnosed with infertility, I couldn't find a ton of resources out there. And this was about, gosh, seven years or so ago. And I just felt like it was an area of not only nutrition as a dietitian that I could really start diving into, but it was really something as a woman that I could help other women and just, we could connect about, you know, mutually exhaustive experiences. So really fertility, my interest in it became so kind of evident through my own personal journey. And I think, you know, a lot of times in nutrition, we find that with people become interested, like you're interested in running because you're an avid runner, you know, that it's, it's just that kind of tugs on our heartstrings. And so that really just spiraled me into understanding more about fertility, understanding the research behind it, because I never learned about fertility in any of my classes. Did you? No, not at all. Yeah. And so I just felt like it was such a big gap in where dietitians could effectively communicate how important nutrition is during this crucial life period. 
Yeah. And I also think in general, women don't talk about fertility until they're in that stage of wanting to have a baby. And it's interesting because we have all these hormones and whatnot that affect us from puberty onwards, and we don't even really learn about them. So it's kind of crazy. I, I, I wonder, I still think I, you were one of the first people I saw talking about fertility and, and the nutrition connection there. I think more people talk about it now, but I still don't think enough people talk about it. Why, why do you think people don't talk about infertility and infertility regularly? I think, I think you're spot on. I think people have exponentially, people meaning professionals in the last five years have really stepped up to the plate and started diving into women's hormones, the whole shebang when it comes to women's health a lot more um, deeply than ever before. But I do believe fertility, infertility, the struggles to get pregnant, you know, the struggles that women go through while pregnant is still rather taboo because it's a very sensitive subject and everyone responds to their own personal journeys differently. And sometimes that might be confiding in a friend. Sometimes that might be sharing it on a social media platform or a blog. But I think because everyone's unique experiences are so different, that's what causes not for, for it to be more of a still hush hush condition because you know infertility being di diagnosed with infertility is actually a disease condition so it's um it's just such a diverse and difficult road for everyone who is on it that i think it, it's it's hard to communicate that to the public at large i'm sure that since it's such an individual struggle it's also dependent on the person some people like to chat about what they've been through on social media while others don't and i'm sure it's also confusing with all the information out there plus i'm sure it's overwhelming there you read about different things when it comes to fertility and you're not always sure what to believe one of the things that kind of drives me crazy is that i see some articles that, see, that say this will boost your fertility or this will hurt your fertility and now that I have an expert here to ask about that, I, I wonder, are there certain foods that can boost your fertility or hinder your fertility? Or is that really just clickbait that we're seeing out there? You know, I will say there's definitely Dr. Google has a lot of clickbait out there. So, you know, there, there is proceed with caution with anything on the web. But I will say there are natural ways to enhance. So I say enhance fertility because if depending on what type of infertility you're diagnosed with, for instance, if it's a uterine condition or if it's um, something directly related maybe to male infertility, uh, takes two to tango, we know that, that certain conditions are irreversible and that you will need either an egg, a sperm donor, or something along those lines to help you, you know, achieve your ultimate goal. But for someone who's diagnosed with unexplained infertility, someone who's struggling with a condition like PCOS, so polycystic ovarian syndrome, or even endometriosis, so some very common female hormonal conditions within the body, you can absolutely affect your fertility with food and exercise and lifestyle habits. So I paint that picture first to say no. You can't eat cabbage, you can't eat broccoli, you can't eat you know, red meat every day and expect your fertility to just be the magic superfood overnight. No, but it's a lifestyle change. So what's interesting is that there's research out there. A lot more research is coming out in the last decade that shows that 90 day period before conceiving really has a crucial impact, not only on egg quality, sperm quality, but the future health of your baby as well. Oh, interesting. So in the reverse way of this, if you have 
I don't want to use the word bad, but if you have a diet that's not necessarily the healthiest, can that negatively impact your fertility? It can. It can hinder your ability to conceive. So for instance, um, a lot of times people find me from a lot of the articles that I've written through numerous publications on fertility or any of my books, and they'll reach out and say, you know, I want to get pregnant. So they might not even have been diagnosed with infertility yet, but recognize their diet is not where it should be or where they think it needs to be. And so we'll start, you know, a three month program where we really just focus on those positive lifestyle changes. You know, sometimes people have in today's society, especially, you know, a reliance on fast food. There's actually direct research linking higher fast food consumption, lower intakes of fruits and vegetables to infertility. So women who had these poorer diets actually had a harder time to conceive than women who did increase their fruit consumption that didn't eat fast food all the time. So there are very, I always say simple swaps because that's my brand, very small modifications that you can make in your daily diet to really boost air quote there, but enhance your fertility. There's no real magic bullet with things, but fruit and vegetables really are the closest you're ever going to come to some sort of magic bullet. They really do help everything, it seems. Yep. I I couldn't agree with that more. (laughs) And talking about kind of magic bullets, let's talk about some things that uh, diet wise restrictions and things like that. So my audience, a lot of times is plant-based. I'm a vegetarian. I've been for 10 years. Um, does being a vegan or a vegetarian or restricting certain food groups impact your hormones and your chance of conceiving? It can. And I will say this with a, a caveat here that it just depends on everyone's biological makeup is so unique. And you and I both know that that's why tailored nutrition intervention is key. So, you know, while I will plan to provide more evidence-based info in this podcast, like if someone out there is struggling, like you really need that one-on-one coaching to understand what is best for your condition. Now, with that said, restrict an overly restrictive diets that maybe are inhibiting fat intake because fat is crucial player in hormonal health, then that would absolutely be a red flag for me that someone needs to, you know, work first on maybe some disordered eating patterns, then kind of jump into the fertility because there's, uh, there's a lot of gray area there. And there's a lot of women who struggle with infertility because of disordered eating, whether it's binge eating disorder or restrictive eating disorder, anything along that spectrum. Now, when it comes to plant-based diets, I'm a big proponent of a plant-based diet. And I think you and I know that that can mean a lot of different things. It doesn't have to mean, you know, all vegan, all vegetarian. It can mean sporadic, almost like a condiment meat intake, that kind of thing. But I will say that people who struggle with certain hormonal conditions when it comes to conceiving. So I talked before about PCOS. There is a lot of significant case studies showing, including more protein, animal-based protein in the diet can actually help balance your insulin levels, balance your hunger hormones, and balance your fertility better. So I'm not saying you have to go and eat a slice of steak or something like that if it's completely against your your MO, but I do want to encourage you to work directly with a, a coach, a dietitian that can help guide you on your personal needs. Now, we, you and I both know there's plenty of great plant-based protein sources out there that really a lot of the fertility diet, so the fertility diet has been around for a god. 12 years, maybe, maybe even longer. And it's by Dr. Walter Willett. So he is a big guru from Harvard, you know, he's in a lot of, a lot of studies and his book actually looked at more of a predominantly plant-based diet. We've kind of seen 
contra uh, contradictory studies since then. So I, I actually prefer that, that we can help people meet them where they are. That, you know, yes, eat more fruits and vegetables. Yes, soy is absolutely okay for fertility. Don't freak out over <laughs> the soy. Um, you know, but if you do enjoy meat, if you do enjoy a burger or something like that, I absolutely help my clients include that in a fertility form. Okay. So you touched on a lot of interesting points there that I kind of want to go back to the first one being fat. And I actually wrote an article for runner's world about how much fat people should eat. And this wasn't necessarily even for a plant-based diet, just fat in general, because I feel like there's so many things out there about fat from the keto diet, which is high fat. And then people wanting to follow low fat. So I'm going to put that article in the show notes, but just in general, a lot of times vegan and vegetarian diets I personally, I have seen that I eat a lot of fat because I eat a lot of nuts and things like that. But that's something to really kind of look at and think about. Um, and then the other thing you talked about is just like conferring with a healthcare professional. I think if you feel that you struggle with infertility or you're not sure about your fertility, first thing is you have to go to a doctor and you have to get a full workup of things. They're going to check your hormone levels. They're going to check different things. So that's that's the first thing. You don't just start by you know, omitting foods or trying to add foods or things like that. And of course, consulting with a dietitian if you do do those things. Um, but that said, when you said fertility diet, one of the things I thought of is that people start to think that they can eliminate gluten or eliminate sugar or do one of these things. <laughs> Will any of those things or work to help with fertility? Is there one thing you can eliminate, one thing you can add? I think I know your answer is going to be no, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Yeah. So yes, there's one thing you can do to add. Always add more fruits and vegetables. We've established that. Now, no, you cannot eliminate any specific food group and expect to wake up in four weeks with two pink lines, you know, with the exception, if someone is struggling with gluten sensitivity or celiac disease and is undiagnosed, oftentimes that, that can cause such severe inflammation in your GI tract that we know your gut plays such a role in your entire body, but especially in reproductive health, that I've seen clients who've been diagnosed with celiac disease, gotten on a gluten-free diet and actually seen their two pink lines within three months. So I will say that, no. If you've never had an issue with gluten before, you don't have family history, you don't have GI distress after eating wheat or gluten-containing products, do not eliminate gluten. You know, there's no need to. But, you know, if you do, if you do have, you know, familial history of this, then maybe it is something to talk to your doctor about. So I put that out there because I don't want anyone to ever feel um, like their situation is diminished. Like, no, you can eat gluten, you're fine. Well, some people can't. We know that. You and I both know that so people are walking around with celiac disease, but it's a very small percentage. So don't cut out that quinoa. Or, I mean, don't cut out that uh, that couscous or something like that if you don't have to. Exactly. Yeah, and that would also be something that would be maybe picked up on by. It could even be a primary care physician if they see that you're deficient in certain vitamins or minerals. A lot of times, that's a sign that you may have celiac. So it's not necessarily something that's just going to pop up out of nowhere. Exactly. Exactly. And just like you alluded to, you know, you can't just start self-diagnosing at home. You know, there's obviously temperature monitoring, ovulation strips, different things that you can do to, to track your cycle before you even make an appointment with your doctor if you're just starting out. But if it becomes to a point, you know, that you're into this journey for a few months and you're still not seeing what 
you know, a normal cycle and normal is anywhere from 28 to 36 days. Like it can be any of that range. Don't, um, you know, don't discount calling your physician. Even a GP can help run these tests. I obviously am a marathon runner. I'm not running marathons right now, but I have in the past and I've run, you know, more than 10 half marathons. So I run long distances and I've always asked, is that impacting my fertility? Is that doing anything negative to my chance of conceiving? What do you think about that? So I think it's very, I I hate when, you know, it's like scientists who say, you know, but there's always room for more research. Well, there's always the chance for everyone's individual, individualization with this. So I will use the example of a few clients that I've had that all obese, not not underweight, but have been very, very hardcore runners. And when we worked on, I don't say not running, but loosening their laces. So, you know, if they're used to running 10 miles every Saturday, we, we cut it down in half to five because we recognize their body is under such significant stress that we still want them to have an outlet, which is great. Running five miles is still no small feat, but it's allowing their body a little bit more time to focus on what's of predominant importance to them at that period of time, which is conceiving, you know? So I, even in one of the cookbooks I wrote, we, we talk about a uh, co-author and I talk about loosening our laces because both times when we were struggling with infertility, we had to loosen our laces. I had to let up on my hit training. So I was actually a cross country runner for four years. I do not at all the level that you do of half marathons, but I've done half marathons, you know, really enjoyed running. And when I was first diagnosed with infertility, I was of a normal body weight. I was on the low end, but when I finally allowed myself no specific schedule with workouts, no specific, um, you know, food rules or anything like that was actually a time that I gained quite a bit of weight, but I also was able to conceive. So I put that story, these stories out there to let people know that sometimes you have to go against kind of what your mind tells you to do and just allow yourself, you know, the freedom and flexibility to focus on what's of utmost important during that period of life. Because as we know, there's only a window to get pregnant. You know, you very few people are getting pregnant in their fifties. And so you could run in your fifties. We know that. <laughs> so I always say, you know, allow yourself the stress relief, the outlet, you can absolutely still run, still jog, still work out during any of your treatment cycles. I still did the elliptical. I went for walks when I was going through IVF, you know, I strength trained, but it was just at a, you know, I would say like a 50% capacity rather than going hundred percent during those times. Absolutely. I think also running is a great stress relief and they say to lower your stress levels. And they also do talk about the importance of exercise and how that positively impacts fertility. But I do think that there's things that are not necessarily always talked about within the running or even the exercise world, which is there's a large prevalence of disordered eating. So of course, if you're not getting enough calories or enough nutrients that can negatively impact your fertility. And then there's also something we call the athlete triad, which is, um, amenorrhea, which means you're not getting your period and, uh, stress fractures from having brittle bones. And that's all comes from not eating enough. So I think that there's Obviously, some runners are perfectly healthy and could continue to run, but then there's others who struggle with these things that may need to cut back, kind of like you were talking about. Exactly. And, you know, HA is referred to a lot within the um, health professional community when it comes to infertility, and it's hypothalamic amenorrhea, where you just, 
you lose your menstrual function because you don't have enough body weight. You're not getting enough dietary fat, enough nutrition in your body. And so one of the, one of the highest um, causes of unexplained infertility, not related to PCOS is HA. And that does require actually during that period, if, if you have been diagnosed with HA is really, you know, you do need to refrain from running during that time because your prime focus is restoring nutrition and you, you know, it's, it's time to look at another stress relief and outlet, you know, you will not, it's not to say you will never be able to run again, but you know, you have to focus on those nutrition needs first. And we know how much, you know, nutrition and energy your body takes when you run even for a jog. So it's like, you know, there's, there's a catch 22 with that as with everything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You need your period to get pregnant. That's, that's essentially yep. what your period is trying to help you do. Um, yeah. <laughs> if we're, if we're talking about people who have already been diagnosed with infertility and are in treatments and are maybe potentially going to do IVF, I know you talk a lot about this and you have, uh, a guide for a support guide for people who are going through IVF. What are the nutrition considerations there? Mm-hmm. So IVF actually is um, in vitro fertilization. So for those who are maybe just starting out and aren't as familiar with these terms, IVF is a form of assisted reproductive technology. So infertility community, we love, love, love our acronyms. So we call it ART for assisted reproductive technology. IUI is intrauterine insemination and then IVF. So IVF is kind of like the last stop on the train of infertility. And this is where um, there's a lot of science involved with this but there's a lot of specific nutrition recommendations with this. And I'm not saying it's like, you know, eat broccoli with cauliflower mixed with amino acids. Like, no, it's nothing crazy like this calculation. It's basically focused on the fruits and vegetables again. It's focusing on the diet that works for your hormones, because basically at this point of your journey, you will have had so much hormonal testing done that you will know if you have PCOS, you will know if you have some of these, maybe it's low progesterone, maybe it's, um, high estrogen, you know, maybe you have high cortisol levels. So we need to focus on an anti-inflammatory diet. The bottom line is, is you do want to eat a, a very balanced whole grain, healthy fats. So unsaturated fats, seafood, you're not eating seafood because you're a vegetarian or vegan, you know, getting those omega-3 sources in from other walnuts, maybe it's a supplement, um, all of these things become very important. Now there are specific supplements. So I'm definitely a food first dietitian, but understand there's certain needs that come into play and into the picture when you're spending thousands of dollars on IVF, you want to do everything you can. And so I put together the stress-free IVF nutrition guide that I sell directly from my website because it was everything I wish I knew going into IVF that I learned during my process. And so I went to Amazon trying to find a book and there's some great books out there on like managing the finances and managing the emotional aspects of IVF, but there's very few books that talk directly about the nutrition interventions for IVF. And so one of the most popular things I talk about, and it's actually one of my most popular blog posts is what to eat after your IVF retrieval. So an egg retrieval, and this is relevant, even if you're not going through the full blown IVF procedure, but say you're undergoing egg freezing because you know, you have want to have kids one day, but you're not sure when, so you're just going to freeze your eggs, which is actually what a lot of women are doing these days, because they know they might want to start trying to conceive maybe when they're 40 and their egg quality isn't going to be the same that when they were 33, you know, so they freeze their eggs at 33 and then go through the actual full IVF process 
when they're 40. And so what you have to look at when you're, you get to the stage of IVF and the egg retrieval is really your electrolyte balance because there's certain conditions that can happen post retrieval that could be, to be completely honest, they can be um, lethal for you. And so you have to focus on sodium balance. You have to focus on potassium. And a lot of these obviously come from foods so you hear a lot, I mean, I, I, not in your community necessarily about sodium, but in the general American society that we're eating too much salt, you know, we need to eliminate salt or like reduce our salt consumption. Well, post IVF retrieval, you really do want to focus on increasing your salt because it's going to help draw the fluid out of your ovaries that basically have been punctured, you know, maybe 16 times, depending on how many eggs you had developed. So I go through all of this in my guide. It's a 65 plus page guide with a few recipes in there just to help women understand. And the feedback I've gotten from it has been exactly why I wrote it, exactly what I wanted to hear that this was such a helpful tool that doctors don't explain to you because they have 15 minutes to explain, you know, what you're actually going to do medication wise. They're not at all addressing lifestyle or behavior changes. Um, I talk about exercise in the book. I'm actually pre and post natal um, certified personal trainer. So I know what you can and cannot do depending on what stage of IVF you're in. Uh, as far as, you know, yes, you can still, after you have your egg retrieval, you can still go for a jog. You know, if you're feeling good, you can still go for a run. I think that that's a lot different than 30 years ago when they started doing the first IVF procedures. They used to have you bedridden for five days. No. You can go home. I went home and went for a walk around the lake just to relieve stress after my last egg retrieval. You know, I think that's what's so important to know is that there's so many different things that you can do out there to help manage your, your emotions during this time and running can absolutely fit into that. That is really interesting about the electrolyte thing. I have researched IVF and I've never seen or heard that. And they do um, recommend that you see a dietitian if you're wanting to know more about your nutrition and fertility. So when it comes to the electrolytes, I think a lot of people, my audience knows about this because long distance runners or people who work out for a long period of time, we're familiar with sports drinks, right? That's what we think of when we think of electrolytes. Um, and I actually have a post about foods that contain electrolytes because we kind of forget that the electrolytes are breaking this down pretty easily. They're they're minerals. So they're sodium, potassium, mm -hmm. magnesium, calcium, uh, and you can get those through tons of different foods, but yeah, people are scared of sodium and they need not be if they don't have blood pressure issues or things like that. So is it just eating salty foods or eating fruits and vegetables that have these, or can someone drink Gatorade or a sports drink, or is that not re recommended because you're not really working out as much and, and they have a lot of sugar in them? Yeah. So again, this is going to be very individualized. You also will struggle with constipation. So because you're on so many narcotics, you, you're completely you know knocked out for the egg retrieval procedure. And so a lot of times the number one complaint is abdominal pain because they're so constipated. So I really recommend the food first version of electrolytes getting one of my simple examples is like, you know, avocado toast has healthy fats, fiber, and then you top it with some sea salt or something like that. Great way to get your kind of bang for your buck and nutritionally speaking, um, and not have to spend hours in the kitchen. 
Now I will say there are certain brands of electrolyte replacements that I do put per, um, clients on that are maybe sweetened with like a monk fruit or a stevia or something. I know everyone is different with what they tolerate as far as the natural sugar substitutes. But I do find because so many clients who are going through IVF struggle with PCOS, we do not want to put them on, you know, a high sugar um, Gatorade type drink or something like that coming out of their IVF procedure, because that will, you know, wreak havoc on their insulin levels. I know, you know, depending on who is listening to this, you might tolerate a Gatorade, you know, because you might still be running. So I think that that's where, again, that individualization comes into play, because um, there's no blanket statement that we can say. I can absolutely say a blanket statement, eat avocado toast, unless you're allergic, go have a slice of avocado toast with some you know, everything bagel seasoning, top it with an egg and you're good to go. <laughs> Avocado toast sol- solves everything, I think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it truly does. <laughs> yeah. All right. Last question. Biggest myth or misconception about fertility and IVF could be related to nutrition, could not be that you wish you could clear up that you hear a lot and you're like, no, this is not right at all. You know, I, I think there's so many things that I would say I hear and I'm like, God, that's, that's false. Where did you hear that? <laughs> You know, I think one of the biggest things, especially as a dietitian, I would say is that there's no superfood out there. There is no superfood that's going to make you have your happy ending overnight. There are absolutely positive lifestyle changes that you can make that will help you alongside your journey. But I think we need to recognize that because you could, you know, as dietitians struggling with infertility ourselves, you know, we know what we're doing nutritionally. We know what we're doing with our lifestyle. And we kind of should get A pluses in that, yet we're still struggling, you know? And so I think that that's something that was very hard for me to understand very early on in my journey was that there is no superfood. There's no one right thing that you can do to make yourself pregnant. But with that said, you are not alone. I think that's the other message I want to make sure your audience understands, especially if they're struggling, depending on, you know, if they're a month in or five years in, you are not alone in this journey. and. I encourage you, even if it's not in a public platform, by any means, just find that one person that you can confide in because you shouldn't have to walk this path alone. Even if it's, you know, I hear this a lot from clients. I've only been trying for, you know, two to three months. You know, I I feel like I'm not nearly as, my, my situation isn't nearly as dire as, you know, Susie, who's been trying for five years and had three miscarriages. I, I, gosh, I've, I, you know, empathize with Susie and I feel so bad, but everyone's journey is hard. And I think that's what people in the infertility community will never judge you. They will welcome you with open arms and they will make you feel like you are supported. And that's what everyone should, should feel on this journey is support. Absolutely. And I've talked to you a lot about this and there is an organization called Resolve, which Liz introduced me to that has infertility support groups. So if you're going through something like that, you can talk to other people. Um, But also going back, I said, I wasn't going to ask you any more questions, but I do have one more. I think people always say pineapple is a thing for fertility. And that's what made that when you were saying super, there's no one superfood. That's not true, right? That's just like, no, no. So I I will say this because I actually got someone um, a direct message the other day about pineapples, because if you see any of my fertility related content out there, I have a pineapple. I had a shirt line associated with a pineapple. This is the deal with the pineapple in the in the fertility community. A pineapple is symbolic in Hawaii of a welcome, like welcome home, very, very inviting. And so the message with the pineapple in the fertility community kind of has this symbolic sense of 
welcoming home, like in your womb, a child, you know, that you're creating this environment, this space. And it's actually kind of a beautiful, I'm not hippity dippity, but you know, it, it's this beautiful message that kind of makes you excited. Kind of to look at. So I use it more in the symbolic sense of the, of the, um, you know, the, the symbol of it rather than, you know, pineapples are great. They're great for nutrition, but they're not a superfood for fertility. <laughs> yeah. That's, I, I like that. It's a welcome rather than you can eat pineapple at every meal and <laughs> help you have a baby. I don't know where that came yes. from, but, um, but that's funny. Well, yeah. And you mentioned a lot of the resolve. There's a lot of great resources out there. So I have a women's health section on my website that I'm sure you'll link to in the show notes that, um, I have, you know, 25 plus stories of, I call them stories of hope that are women and men, because I think one thing we didn't talk about is that men, again, play a big part in this journey. And so uh, women and men who've shared their journeys to conceive um, with me in my community, I also recommend a lot of books. So I have resources on there. Um, There's a male fertility, male infertility book out there written by a fellow dietitian of ours. There's a lot of great hormonal dietitians that are sharing free information on Instagram. So the hormone dietitian is one I want to give a shout out to because she really goes through a lot of the processes with hormonal balance. Um, There's another dietitian called the organic dietitian that shares a lot of fertility health knowledge out there. And then um, I have a couple books, like we had talked about the stress-free IVF nutrition guide. I have a 14 day menu planner for fertility. And then the Fertility Foods Cookbook, which is really a hundred plus recipes to help fuel your fertility. And I know I always, uh, I always use your sister as an example when you told me you gave her her your my book, and uh, she got pregnant within you know what was a couple months the first time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's true. I mean, all of this is helpful. This is stuff that you're not. Yeah. No one is talking about this, so I highly, highly encourage you to go find Liz online. Which where can people find you? Social and your website. Yeah. So my, um, it's all the same. So my business is Shaw Simple Swaps. So my website is shawsimpleswaps.com. Very low sugar, healthy plant forward recipes on there. I am, I do eat meat. So you will find meats first throughout my website. Um, and also on social media at Shaw Simple Swaps. Well, thanks Liz. This has been really, really informative. And I think people are going to love all this information. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. And if you want to learn more from me, follow me on social media at Greenleats or visit my website at greenleats.com.